You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome to our show. Thank you for joining us again this week. Morag, you and I have had a, uh, a whirlwind uh, September and October. I just got back from Quito, Ecuador, as you know, and it was just a very exciting addressing a group of uh, entrepreneurial women there uh, in in a very a different part of the world where um, that's not has not been a uh, straightforward path for a lot of women in in Ecuador. And you've been running around by by like. Like crazy. What have you been up to? <laughs> Chasing my proverbial tail. Well, right now I'm standing in Colorado looking at the beautiful autumn day that is unfolding outside. But let's see, when you and I last spoke, I have been to the UK, I've been to the East Coast, I've been down to Texas and the southern end of the US. And uh, yeah, where haven't we been almost? <laughs> where haven't we been? And then I ship out to London to the Thinkers 50 uh, conference and gala. Uh, for the top uh, thinkers in uh, leadership gurus, I was I was uh, very excited to be invited to that, and I'm going to be running into Marshall and uh, Linda Grat, Marshall Goldsmith, and Linda Gratton, and some other really exciting key players. And Tom Peters is going to be getting an award there, so that's going to be a really uh, fun uh, event. And then we're going to have a little showcase there for future proof workplace, which I think is also great. Well, do say hi to Marshall from me. Uh, and again, we've had some wonderful feedback from the interviews that he recorded with you and I about the future proof workplace. And to see Marshall Goldsmith honored again, it's just fantastic. It is fantastic. And you know what else made me feel really, really good? You know, Tom Friedman is such a wonderful author and futurist. And I was really excited because he's saying some some things uh, about the future that you and I say in our own book about mm-hmm. you know, degrees are really uh, not going to be the same and that the that and you and I talk about the need for nano degrees and different approaches to education than we've had in the past and he is absolutely predicting that uh, for the future of the 21st century and and actually hit on a number of things that that we write about and we talk about which was I thought, pretty exciting. It is. Well, I mean, again, it links to the conversation we're going to be having with Melissa later on in the show about STEM careers. And really, as you and I know from our uh, research for the Future Proof Workplace, the education process, it hasn't changed in more than 100 years. It is not designed for the 21st century workplace. And when we talk about diversity in any industry, but particularly in STEM careers, and how do we teach people to be nimble and respond to ever-emerging technologies Something has to give. And uh, education is going to be a theme in several of our conversations in future shows. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading what uh, Tom Friedman has to say on those topics when his new book comes out. Yeah, yeah, me too. And actually, I'm going to be speaking uh, for Duke uh, Corporate Education in February on that very topic. So I'm I'm kind of excited about that, that that they invited me to, to speak on that. So why don't you introduce our guest? 
Well, I will. Well, firstly, thank you to everybody who's listening into the show again this week. Thank you for joining us. And through the Future Proof uh, radio show, Linda and I's goal is to share insights and information on trending topics impacting both the world of work, but also our individual careers in the 21st century. And so to do that, we're inviting experts and thought leaders to be our guest. And after tuning in and listening to the conversation, we want you to walk away having learned something new and be better equipped to future-proof both your company and your career. So this week, we are thrilled to be joined by Melissa Risteff. And Melissa is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Courageon. That's C-O-U-R. A-G-I-O-N. Don't worry, we'll be saying that several times throughout the show and we'll give you all contact information at the end. But Melissa and the new company, Courageon, are focusing on the perception of STEM careers and improving awareness and participation in those fields. So career literacy, targeting um, young and upcoming adults to entice them to start planning for those science and engineering uh, careers of the future. But Melissa is going to be the best one to tell us more. So Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, okay, so I've given a little taster for Courageous and the work you're doing, but start with the basics. What prompted you to launch the company? Yeah, great question. You know, I think that when you know we look back three years ago when we first conceived of the idea of Courageous. We were reflecting on our own careers, and the co-founders have been in tech for for decades and looked around and wondered why we didn't have um, a diverse reference and and look around and not find so many people really joining these amazing careers, which are high-paying, which are in high demand, which have um, a lot of purpose and mission in them. And yet we just weren't able to attract um, folks into the fields. And so we felt like perhaps after looking at the amount of money being put into, um, you know, those kind of funds for STEM education and federal funding to try to broaden participation in STEM, we just didn't see that the impact was being had. So we thought we would put our money where our mouths were and give it a go. Okay, well, that's a little bit about the company, about what you're trying to do. We'll explore that in a little bit more detail. But you talked there about how you and your co-founder were in STEM careers before. And I know that in past lives, you've been at General Electric, as was Linda, um, and Sun Microsystems. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. You know, I started out, I went to a business school and I got my undergraduate in marketing And yet I went to my very first job out of college, which was in General Electric, and uh, I fell into a software development initiative. And it was largely because we were trying to automate some processes um, that we really wanted to um, be more efficient. And we found that there was nothing on the shelf um, that was available. And so I was able to, I was commissioned by the vice president that I worked for to hire some consultants and they became some of the most amazing mentors to me. They taught me everything about software development from being a business analyst to a quality assurance engineer. Uh, and we, we basically made it happen and I never looked back. Wow. That's really exciting. I mean, it's interesting that you, what years were you at uh, GE, Melissa? 
Oh, I was at GE back in the mid 90s and I was there for six years before I was recruited over to Sun in 2000. Oh, interesting. And what what business were you in as two ex-GEers? Yeah, I was in the IT distribution business. So oh. the, the funny path is that I was actually a master reseller for Sun Microsystems. Uh, right. And then I ended up, you know, joining Sun as an organization. So um, that's kind of where the lineage came from. Wow, very interesting. I was there in the mid-90s too. I was with uh, Capital though, the big finance company, which everybody wanted to be at because we made all the money for, for GE. But <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd laugh at that one. So uh, uh, the question I wanted to ask you, Courageian, very interesting name. How did you and, par- and your partner arrive at that at that name? Yeah, it's a mashup and um, very you know thoughtful. It means courageous champion. And what we were really trying to do is to um, reflect how important it is to have role models in our world. And if we can start to mirror a more diverse demographic and start to redefine STEM identity, and we start to really shine the light on the people who have done amazing things in STEM and allow them to be champions for the next generation and the next workforce um, that we would pull forward. Why do you think so few women go into STEM uh, programs? I think there are are so many reasons, but I'm going to focus in on a couple that I think are just near and dear to me. Key ones. Yeah. So I'm going to actually focus the lens on technology because I really think that's where the biggest demand issue is in terms of supply and demand. You know, I think a lot of people blanketly assume that we have a a lack of individuals pursuing STEM careers, where in fact, I, I think tech is where that biggest gap is. And I think technology is just really highly um, misunderstood. And I, I want to define it a couple of different ways. You know, I've been in the tech sector my entire career, but as the workforce has evolved, there are an incredible number of tech jobs in other sectors. Uh, these hybrid jobs require technology, require technical skills, or require STEM competencies in order for them to be successful right. in their career. So I think that's just a really important definition to, to really think through. And then in terms of technology specifically, you know, I really believe that going back to, you know, the foundation of what we're trying to research and solve is that we're trying to improve the perception and awareness of the careers that are available. And and I think you foundationally start with, I don't think people understand what jobs are out there. And number two, if they have an understanding that the job exists, they actually don't have a good perception of what what it is or how it actually unfolds in the workplace. And I think I would say that coding is is something that people, there's a fallacy that if you're in tech, that you're a coder. And in fact, there's a huge complement of other roles in tech that are business-facing, highly strategic, that are um, embracive of customer needs, and that are really serving as that bridge between the business and technologists. And, and I think that there's an incredible amount of collaboration in those roles. And if people knew about them, and they understood what those were, then they would likely pursue them at a greater or rapid rate. Are you, do you do much with witty you know, women in technology? You know, we actually support the National Center for Women in Information Technology, and and we're part of that K-12 alliance. So we're, you know, very strong there. And then, of course, throughout my career have been, you know, very um, 
attentive to the women in technology organizations and groups inside the companies I worked with. Well, well, you know, it's it's interesting because we track a little bit because I went to Hewlett Packard after um, after GE, so you know, another big tech company. But um, you know, let me uh, let me just ask you one more thing as we're on this track. But why do you think? women have not been able to move up the food chain as quickly because we had a lot of women in technology and you did in in, uh, Sun Microsystems too. I mean, I know that because we all had relationships together. Why do you think they're not moving up the food chain? You know, Sun, I think actually was an anomaly just to go back to that for, for a second. You know, in 2000, when I was there and I started there, um, we had women in executive leadership at a rate of about 27% at that time. And I think actually that was pretty groundbreaking. It uh, is. It was. Yeah. And, and we were innovative in so many other ways. I mean, at the same time, we had um, 40% of individuals who were um, working virtually. And, and so I, I think that when you have a company that is progressive and really um, has a hand in setting diversity goals and measuring them. I mean, those were things that we did back then. And I think that, you know, flashback so many years later and and look now at the diversity and inclusive initiatives and people today are just starting to measure, you know, and, and what you measure is what, you know, is what matters. And how do you, (laughs) exactly. That was very black belt ish of me. So, so Melissa, I know your target audience is the K through 12 students here in the U.S. So for our international listeners, that's anybody who's in um, primary education through high school. And so you talked earlier that one of the challenges of getting anyone into a STEM career is there is a lack of awareness as to what careers are even available. I mean, we tend to broad brush, I'm an engineer, I'm a coder, whatever it might be. So if I were to log on to Courageous as a student or as a parent of a, a student who's trying to decide what direction they want to go, what's the first step in helping me to understand, do I want to be, I don't know, a mathematician? Do I want to be an engineer? Do I want to be a technologist? Do I want to do science? What's the first step? Yeah, the first step is really an assessment where we're trying to get an understanding of the interests, values, and the desired work characteristics of that individual learner. And I think this is perhaps one of the first times where they are having the ability to think and to self-reflect about these particular job characteristics that maybe they haven't even thought through themselves. Um, so it could be something um, like I, I, the desire to have creativity in in my work, or mm-hmm. that perhaps you may or may not want to travel as as an element of your job. You know, you two were just talking about the globe trotting that you're doing, and to some people that's probably amazing sounding, and to others it's probably cringeworthy. Yeah. And you know, I think that if you can start to put a little bit of context around it, um, we enable them to get a sense. And then they start to explore careers and uh, it yeah. helps them to understand the best fits. So that data capture that we do up front and, and the machine learning that we um, employ help them to identify best fits and then the pathways to get there. Right. So it can be as fundamental as I want to work indoors in an office. Or I want to be outside. I want to work with teams. I want to work on my own. I want to work with technology. I want to work with my hands. And all of that helps to then produce a... 
um, a buffet table, I suppose, but of, of foods, careers in this case that actually might appeal. All right. So it now says I want to be an engineer. Now, you and I know there's 101 plus flavors of engineers out there, mechanical engineers, civil engineers, blah, you keep going. So how do you then help me decide um, what sort of en a day in the life of and what sort of engineering now might be appropriate? Yeah, great question. Love it. It is a great question. And it's fun because I'm thinking, uh, flashing back to one of our biomedical engineers and she actually tells a story on video about how she knew she wanted to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. She had that experience because her father was, and so she was in, in motivated already. But she said she got to university and was so flabbergasted by the number of different engineering disciplines and pathways that she just didn't know which way to go. And it wasn't until she took a materials uh, engineering class that she immediately knew that that's the path that she wanted to take. Okay. So. To answer your question, though, Marek, they go through experiential processes where they're, um, each student is basically exposed to a role model, and that role model tells their own personal story and talks about day in a life and how they got there. And then as they're going through this, what we call a quest, the students are answering more questions that are factoring into this progressive profile to help them understand, is this the right fit for me? Is is materials engineering the right path okay. or is mechanical engineering? I love that, a quest to find your career. So what you're talking in there when you talk about role models is, I know you've gone out armed with your video camera and interviewed people in all sorts of roles at their desk to, to talk a little bit about what um, happens in the, a day in the life of. So it's not just a passive experience. The students are actually getting to interact with people who are actually doing that job today. It's fantastic. I'm looking forward to learning more. Well, we're going to go to a quick break and you're listening to Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett, the Future Proof Workplace radio show. And our guest this week is Melissa Ristef, the CEO and co-founder of Courageon. And we're talking about STEM careers. How do we, A, encourage people to consider those for the future and also increase diversity for those who are entering into those fields. Stay with us and more to follow when we get back. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, 5 years or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. We said it in unison. Don't you just love that? So you're listening to The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and myself, Morag Barrett. And our guest this week is Melissa Ristef, CEO and co-founder of Courageon, a new business, well, two years old and an award-winning business that is helping to encourage uh, students to enter into STEM careers by providing them with guidance as to what might fit their values and skills, but also the opportunity to listen and observe people in those roles uh, in a day-to-day -day life. So they can make informed choices about both subjects that they're choosing at school and also future career paths. But Linda, I know you've got a question that you are wanting to pose to Melissa around education. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I love your approach of having students sort of shadow and, you know, get into what these, these various different roles are. Uh, you know, there's a lot posited out there that there's, we really don't know what the jobs are going to be even five years from now. So how do you, um, what do you see as the future of education and how can education best prepare students today for jobs we don't even know are going to exist? And you make a great point, Melissa, that just about every job is going to have a digital or technology component uh, to it. We're just not going to be able to escape it. So, so what do you see as the future for education? One thing that I see that's really shifting and is being um, heralded by some of the most progressive districts across the nation is alternative pathways. And I think we're, we're all starting to realize that perhaps the four-year degree is not for everyone. And when I think of some of the excitement around uh, industry certifications and credentialing and apprenticeships, I think that there's just a, a huge, huge opportunity for us to engage students at a different level and to give them, you know, those alternative paths for them to be successful and to try on opportunities before they decide to take on, uh, you know, degrees. Um, you know, I, I just think that that's a huge opportunity for the next generation. It is. And in fact, recent research that says by the age of 30, millennials, or at least certainly the next generation of workers, uh, will likely change roles and jobs seven times before they're 30. And I know for Linda and I, we might be at a different point in our career path, but I'm on my essentially my fifth career. And when I think about my first uh, senior qualification, secondary qualifications, which was in commercial finance, that uh, qualification is now old enough to drink in its own right, um, but it probably does not have a direct bearing on what I do to every day in terms of leadership and executive development. So it was a good springboard, but being more nimble, to your point, a four-year degree feels a little restraining when we talk about Moore's law and how technology changes every 18 months. And even Moore's law is now being said to be slow and things are actually changing even faster. So a move from a four-year degree to something more nimble, I see is on, on the cards and something that Linda and I explore in our book. I'm glad to hear you are also starting to see those trends or at least those conversations happening in industry. Well, you know, Melissa, a, a, a question for you around uh, that, that point. How do you see, do, do you see a role in the future for four-year degrees? And what advice do you have? I, I get asked this all the time for parents, you mm. know, are coming, who, who are trying to guide their children appropriately, because as you know, we gutted apprenticeships a lot from, um, you know, in technological education. By that, I mean, you know, skill-based uh, electrical stuff and, you know, apprenticeships from our high schools. And it's starting to come back, but very, very slowly. So so what what's your thought on that? Well, I think that in the past, apprenticeships have had, you know, a, a very different lens yeah. Uh, and and I think that today's apprenticeship programs are are not only blue collar but they're white collar. And I, I read an article recently that called them the no collar apprentices. And 
I think that we need to believe that, you know, there's a, there's a pathway for apprenticeships whereby kids are getting paid, they're getting skills, they're earning college mm-hmm. credits. And so there may actually be a role for college, you know, after, you know, their apprenticeship wraps up. It just means that that's not, that's not the first plan, you know, that you're, that you're going to go through as a senior and go directly into a four-year degree when you haven't had the opportunity to kind of dip your toe and, yeah. and to really get the experience that you want. And nothing like actually trying it on for size, because to your point, the the approach to learning uh, up till now has been that it's all front loaded at the beginning of our lives. And then you go to work and then you retire. But what I'm hearing you saying is, no, maybe there's a, a bridge between finishing secondary education and high school, going into the workplace and trying it on and seeing how it works. And then the ongoing education, whether it's a four year degree or any other approach, is something that becomes much more braided and part of lifelong learning versus a one and done. It's curious. And our role models, we really have gone to great lengths to showcase different pathways um, that individuals can take from, you know, someone that went into the military and then has two industry certifications and, you know, then is getting paid a six-figure job and is extremely happy and, you know, fulfilled um, and then there are others who have gone through, you know, academies that are inside industry, whereby individuals are rotated from position to position um, so that they can find the right home inside an organization. And I, and I think some of those uh, some of those workforce development initiatives that are happening in the industry are, are fantastic. But I love that now we're starting to see some of those white collar uh workforce initiatives and work-based learning experiences happen inside the high school as well. Yeah. yeah. I like the fact that you said earlier that the white-collar, blue-collar distinction actually yeah. is starting to go away as well. Linda, what did you want to ask? Well, I wanted to add to that, that um, you're seeing now a, a small, but a trend on businesses' parts reaching out into the high schools and coming in and working with the teachers there to design and develop curriculum and create sort of a knit between the business environment in their particular communities and the, the high schools, which I think is a brilliant approach. Do you, do you see that being more and more? I do. I do. I see, I see a lot of the work that's being done as business-led and, you know, we, some of the districts that we work with have incredible programs for, uh, career development that range from, you know, job shadowing to internships to apprenticeships, but really industry is stepping up and they are, uh, they, they are really firmly understanding that if they don't play their part in helping to identify the workforce needs and to also get them the skills that they need, um, that it's not going to happen because right. education doesn't understand the labor needs and they can't keep up with the technological advancement. And, you know, dead on that the K-12 system was built for an industrial aged model right. and mm-hmm. hasn't evolved enough. Yeah. Question. So I'm, do, go on then, Linda. Our question here. Uh, what do you see um, as the, if you said that there were going to be five or six really critical jobs or critical, uh, critical jobs for the future, what would you say they would be? I would say that data science pops, you know, to the top of my mind. And, and I really feel like that, you know, in the past data science, 
you know, has taken many different names. You know, you may be in business intelligence or you may be in analytics or you may be a quant, but, you know, traditionally you may have been coming from the, the math or the finance side. And now we're seeing data science emergent as more of a technology career. And I, I think that, you know, data science could be a research path, but I also see that it has a, a really strong foothold and a home across every single industry vertical. So um, clearly that's one. Uh, cybersecurity is another. Mm, it's uh, a hot topic. It is so hot. And, you know, you know, that is one of the careers where I see probably the best industry credentialing going on, uh, where there isn't the need for the four-year degree. Now, granted, I, I think that cybersecurity, uh, if someone has computer science background and has, you know, that kind of degree under their belt, it certainly not, doesn't do them a disservice, but it isn't a requirement either. Uh, I also see that product management is one of the biggest unsung careers as well, which is, you know, the the definition of all technology, um, where all um, user uh, interaction takes place, where the strategy is set, where the commercialization takes place. So that's, you know, a very important career. And then I also think that user experience is exceptionally important, Uh, not only from the interaction models of the way technology and, and the way humans interact with technology, um, but it has you know elements of uh, design, it has elements of you know uh, human factors, um, it has elements of you know technological um, balance, and I, I just think that you know those are probably off the top of my head the ones that I think that we really need to focus on helping to helping our students to understand that those are incredible careers that have that kind of trajectory and they are all fast growing with a lot of job recs sitting out there open in industry. Mm. So I'm curious, since you launched the business, Melissa, I know you've been going out there videoing and interviewing your role models, working in the education industry, bridging the gap between the two. And I'm curious to see how your vision for the company, Courageon, has evolved in those two years. And because a multiple question here. So how has your vision for the company evolved? But also, what are you seeing from businesses who are now trying to tap into what you're doing and provide additional services and insights for students? So help us understand what's next for you. Yeah, I think when we first started the company, we really felt that our primary vision was to broaden participation, inspire the underrepresented, and improve the perception and awareness of these career paths. And when we started to work with the students, the initial response was so powerfully strong that we were making an impact and a difference and at the same time, we realized that what we had developed was so important for the educators that we were working with as well. And because of that, we started to really focus in on career literacy as a professional development offering instead of just as a student-facing application. And it, that has been really enlightening and, and a very different process that we thought we were going to be going through. We thought we were building an app. We thought we were going to be servicing students. And instead, we now have an educator companion application and support systems that are not only in the classroom, but out of the classroom to help educators understand uh, the demands, the needs, the careers themselves, the pathways. Um, So that was, I think, one thing that was really, um, you know, I, I think a pivot for us. 
So I'm assuming here that the team has grown then. So many hands make light work. How how are you responding and remaining nimble yourselves to to all of these opportunities and not being distracted from those core initial core purpose? Partnering for sure is, is I think something that's really important to us. And, you know, we've just talked quite a bit about apprenticeships and one of our most recent partnerships that we have uh, forged is with CareerWise Colorado, and they are the flagship organization in the state. Um, and I think they're really leading the way in the nation. There are a lot of eyes watching them, mm-hmm. and they're really reforming what it means to have apprenticeships uh, inside the schools that are business-led yeah. and that do service and, and, and help um, business-oriented and technology-oriented um, pathways. Uh, so that's one way that we're really um, starting to scale um, is to start partnering. And to, I think Linda's other question in terms of also like businesses, we're also starting to work with large organizations who are trying to cultivate a STEM pipeline for themselves. And they're very interested in using what we've developed as a platform for everything from um, building a pipeline to helping support succession planning. And understanding like what jobs are available to me now and what jobs are available to me next. Yeah, you should get a hold of LinkedIn. Um, and we can probably facilitate some of that because they are doing a very interesting. You know, they have one of the largest databases around the world, frankly, of uh, jobs that are available in uh, regions and areas. And they also have, uh, you know, a listing of all the profiles of people in those regions. And it seems to me that that could be, you know, very interesting and very helpful uh, to you. And uh, we we can sort of facilitate that for you, actually. So we are coming up to a break. You are listening to Future Proof Workplace with uh, Morag Barrett, myself, and Melissa Restif. And we are talking about... Uh, learning for the future, how to uh, figure out what's best for you, what's what, how, how to prepare yourself for the jobs of the future, and what her organization, uh, Courageian, is doing to prepare people, not for industrial century of the past, but for the digital era today and for the future. When we come back, we're going to be talking about, Melissa, what were some of the biggest surprises that you um found that you didn't anticipate when you got into this. So stay with us. We'll be back shortly. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey and with my co-host, Morag Barrett, and we're talking to Melissa Restiff, CEO of Courageian, a, very, a really unique company helping prepare people for the future, uh, particularly in the area of careers in STEM. 
So, Melissa, you know, since you started this business, uh, what what are some of the biggest surprises that you didn't anticipate that uh, came came your way? You know, one of the things that I thought was initially the most surprising as a first time entrepreneur, but a serial intrapreneur for sure, is how supportive the ecosystem is for someone starting a business for the first time. And I think that, you know, in part, that's the infrastructure and how evolved, you know, our our technological systems have come and, you know, how quickly you're, you're able to get up and running and run a lean operation. And that is one thing that I just was, you know, so excited about. And then beyond that, I think just the the number of entrepreneurs that reach out and help each other and mm-hmm. how that ecosystem has evolved and embraces. And, you know, I, I just was so surprised that there were so many people that are continuously reaching out and offering their support and and following through on those, you know, offers. And it, it's just, it, it was um, refreshing. Yeah, it's a little different than being inside business sometimes. Absolutely. And I think, again, reflecting of the changing attitudes and values in the 21st century, because in the olden days, whenever those were, I think it was much more of a keep your intellectual property secret. Um, I've got to win against the other companies, etc. But like you, uh, certainly in the leadership and executive development space, um, there are low barriers to entry, unlike your your industry. And uh, yet I still find that that collaboration and supportive approach to helping ensure we succeed together is refreshing. So I'm glad that you're seeing the same for Courageian and the work that you're doing there. And I think that's reflected. You've won a number of awards. So your company may be relatively young. Tell us more about the awards and the grants that you've uh, attracted. Yeah, I mean, talk about incredible, you know, kind of success in um, building relationships and mm-hmm. then falling into, you know, kind of situations that you didn't plan for initially. You know, the first one was the National Science Foundation, and I, I, I found a grant, and it was ten days before it's due. And <gasps> you know, writing National Science <laughs> Foundation grants, it's onerous. <laughs> and not only had we never like set up the systems and processes and fundamentally sat down and and written the grant, but we did, and we pulled it off, and we won it on our very first submission. Wow! wow. Congratulations. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it was incredible. And the support that we've gotten from the NSF, uh, we subsequently just received a phase two grant uh, that started in March of this year. And so all told, um, we've raised just under a million dollars from the National Science Foundation, and that's non-dilutive funds. Uh, wow, that's very, very cool. Yeah, thank you. And then also we were uh, part of the 2016 AT&T Aspire cohort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was just another incredible experience. It's an ed tech focused accelerator. Um, only, you know, a handful of companies um, get accepted into the process. And so AT&T is actually um, the first investor on our capitalization table. So that has been, Great. you know, an amazing honor as well. And last year, we were the emerging tech company of the year in the state of Colorado um, by the Colorado Technology Association. So another incredible honor bestowed upon us. It's been a blessing. 
I think it's just recognition of the passion that you have shown and obviously the, the need that Courageous is fulfilling. And I can only imagine that the uh, success and the impact that you are building is just going to continue to accelerate. And I know that it's it sparked many conversations because I've been watching you on social media and obviously when we've been getting together, the number of speaking engagements and panels and uh, conferences that you are participating in has uh, just increased exponentially. So tell us a little bit about those um, endeavors and the sort of conversations that you're being asked to participate in. Yeah, you know, we we participate in panels um, and at conferences, and they, they usually have some sort of an intersection of career, uh, STEM, uh, and and inclusive, um, inclusive, yeah, and being inclusive. Like those are, are kind of some of the topics that we are kind of dancing around, and you know, when we also. Um, are being involved in some of the other fantastic, uh, like AT&T's Women in Technology Twitter talks. So I've participated in three of those recently. And those have been really powerful discussions around women in tech uh, and, you know, career development specifically. So um, those have been the places. But what's great is we've actually just also started to really um, be recognized around our part in computer science education. And so we've recently been accepted to speak at a few conferences. We're really excited. Actually, there's one coming up in December in San Francisco, and it's a big STEAM expo. And we'll be talking specifically about some of our primary research in computer science education, but also when we work directly with our students, we have uh, workforce analytics data that is incredibly powerful and helps really industry to understand the incoming workforce and what's important to them. And so we can start to really look very critically at the jobs that are growing quickly that have a low interest by certain populations. And then we can even look deeply and understand why those rubs are occurring. And so we're Mm. starting to also publish some of that research and disseminate that research as part of our NSF R&D. That's going to be huge because, as you say, those non-glamorous roles that are going to still be critical, it then can uh, accelerate companies thinking about how do they market them, how do they restructure roles and responsibilities to uh, appeal to, again, the more diverse audience that we've been talking about throughout. Otherwise, we get the predictable surprise of lots of open positions, but nobody applying for them. And that can cripple an organization and an industry. And Laura, you totally hit on it. Sorry, Melissa. Yes. Yeah, you you totally hit on it. We were meeting uh, as part of our NSF process with hundreds of potential stakeholders and specifically human resource and talent acquisition strategists. And it was amazing when we started to show them the early data. And those are some of the light bulbs that they were having. Like, wow, that job is actually doesn't have as much flexibility in the schedule and they have very large team sizes. And, and guess what? The incoming perceptions are that they want to work on very small teams and that they do want some flexibility in their workplace. And so it could be a structuring of the job itself, or it could be a marketing of what's important to them. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it's brilliant. It's really, really brilliant, brilliant work. And it just goes to show you how powerful and impactful big data can be and helping you do the analytics and then really restructuring things to be more appealing to uh, the workforce and changing actually partly what we're doing 
is changing the brain and rewiring the brain from things that we used to thought think were really great jobs to what really are going to be the great jobs of the future. So, Melissa, tell me, what are the three things that you would like our listeners to leave with? What are the three most important messages that you want to leave with? The first one is definitely around broadening participation and really thinking very strongly about the things that we can do to help encourage individuals um, to take a step that maybe they're not so comfortable in taking and helping them um, to build the confidence to serve as a role model, to help surface role models. And so I think that that is just a really key and important part that we all need to take a part in. Uh, the second is career literacy. And I think it's a it's a term that's not necessarily well understood, but oh, the term. really, yeah, I mean, helping students to understand what careers are available to them and putting that decision before a college decision. Yeah. And, you know, this is a, a sign of the way counseling inside of our K-12 system has evolved, but we went. We started from a place of being very career focused to being very college focused, and those counselors are measured on the number of students that are entering four year programs. And I think we need to be really clear that if someone doesn't choose their career first, it's likely that they're going to regret their post secondary decisions. Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, I think we all just need to to think very um, deeply about these alternative pathways as well. And you think about yourself, you know, do you, you know, if you're a parent, if, if you're an educator, you think, well, it, it's less than if you don't get the four-year degree. And challenging people to think about a, a system where it's not required and, and trying to remove the stigma and, and the bias surrounding that. And I think that's something that falls to all of us as yeah. adults who are championing these kids. Totally. Fantastic. Fantastic. I just want to jump in here for one other little, just as an offshoot of that. What are you seeing as some of the soft skills that are going to be necessary? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. You know, our brand new R&D, we're building um, skills-based challenges that are helping kids to become more employable towards these jobs once they find the best fits. And it's really exciting because we're looking at not only occupational skills, but we're also looking at essential skills. And each of these challenges has a, a number of essential skills that kids are practicing. So it's, you know, it's the standard that you would think of, um, critical thinking, collaboration, um, creativity, risk-taking. Those are, you know, top, the, probably the top four that pop to mind that I really think we need to do a better job of. Um, and helping kids to really just think, um, think about problem solving in a more creative way. Um, short anecdotal story, we were teaching inside the classroom about what it's like to be a quality assurance engineer. And we were helping them actually to learn about that career and what it paid and what kind of positions you could have. But then this group of students was actually helping us to test our software. So it was a great kind of give and get situation. But I'll never forget uh, the young woman who raised her hand and said to me, well, I'm looking for bugs, but how many are there? And (laughs) Right. I just think that that's such a great you know, statement. And I laughed and I said, you know, this is the type of assignment where we don't know the answer. There, there isn't a framework. There's no answer guide. And that's what it's like to go to work every day. 
And I just I don't it. think we're teaching their, our students in that manner. No. So, Melissa, as we come to the end of the show, uh, two important things. A, how do our listeners get involved with Courageous and how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So uh, folks can hit me up on Twitter at at mristeff, or they can contact me at melissa at Courageous.com. And our website is www.courageion.com. That's C-O-U-R-A-G-I-O-N, remember, for Courageous Champions. And we also publish um, a weekly blog, and I'd encourage folks to give it a go. It talks about all of the key themes and important uh, research and development uh, that we're publishing over time as we disseminate our research. Well, Melissa, what a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us and the insights in your company. It's it's really, it's it's a kind of entrepreneurial effort of the, of the future, which is very exciting and helping a lot of people in schools. Um, we are thrilled to have had you with us. Thank you so much for joining. This is our education week. Next week, we're going to be hearing from Mark. We're going to be talking with Mark Babbitt, who is CEO and founder of U-Turn, who does a lot of work uh, on internships um, and organizational culture. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation. I think this is so important for all of us to think about as we go forward. We've got to change our view of how we see education and what kinds of jobs and change that sort of bias that Melissa was talking about. Again, Melissa, thanks so much. Morag, another great show. I can't wait to connect with you next week. Thanks for having me. We're signing off. Linda, Melissa, and Morag. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.